Easter Sunday. Does today seem different to you than any other day in history? It should. When Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death, he introduced to the world something better, something bigger, something greater than the world had ever experienced. He gave us a greater kingdom. You know what a kingdom is, right? It is a territory that has been claimed by a king. On Easter Sunday, Jesus laid claim to the hearts and lives of every man, woman, and child. He declared that they could, that they would experience a rewarding and fulfilling life under his reign and rule. On Easter Sunday, he offered the world a greater kingdom, a kingdom not made by human hands, a kingdom imperishable and undiminished by time, a kingdom built on a simple declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. history lesson. The desire to rule and reign has been a part of humanity's story since the beginning of time. From the Roman Empire to the dynasties of China, leaders have sought to build their kingdom on military strength, trade, ideology, money, fear, a mouse, and yes, even religion. And while they boldly claimed that the sun would never set on the lands that they conquered and colonized, if history has taught us anything, their empires fade away, their rulers, they die. Their kingdoms remain only as timelines in history books. Dynasties last just a couple of seasons and then It's the final Omaha, Omaha. The legs, they give out. The money, it disappears. The oil, it dries up. The idea become hopelessly dated. The kings, they come and they go. Sorry, Elvis. Even magic kingdoms will come to an end someday, but hopefully not too soon. I've got tickets. But there you have it. Kingdoms rise and they fall. Kingdoms fall because they are built on a faulty premise. It is inevitable. Empires that come from the efforts of human hands, no matter how noble the cause, or how brilliant the idea, they will become corrupted or irrelevant. All kingdoms, that is. (laughs) But one, when Jesus came, he offered the world a greater kingdom. One that started 
with an extraordinary event on Easter Sunday, a kingdom that started in defeat, a kingdom built on a simple foundation, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom that is exclusive, no one can enter in except through Jesus, but a kingdom that is inclusive to all who would receive Jesus as their Lord. And to all who choose to receive him, he gives the right to be children of God, co-heirs to a kingdom eternal, unshakable. Today, that king, that kingdom demands our worship and our gratitude. Hallelujah. Easter Sunday, the dawn of a greater kingdom. Hallelujah. Friends, do you ever think about the fact that our planet is not attached to anything? It is this free-floating circular mass out there in the solar system spinning on its axis as it orbits around the sun with only some invisible force called gravity that keeps us from flying off into outer space. Does this seem a little bit shaky to you? It does to me. And speaking of shaky, some of us present here at the Ford Center on this Easter Sunday can remember the earthquake that happened in the San Francisco Bay Area in the fall of 1989. Remember, because of the media coverage of the World Series that was hosted there that week, it became the first major earthquake to be broadcast on live television. And although it lasted for only about 15 seconds, it caused over $6 billion in damages and resulted in over 3,700 injuries and 63 deaths. So did you know that every year there are about a half a million detectable seismic disturbances around the world. And of these, about 1,000, or an average of three per day, result in the loss of life and the destruction of property. Here in the United States, more than 70 million people live in regions that are high to moderate risk for an earthquake. And we can probably relax, though, because the closest such area to us here in southwest Indiana this morning is in Memphis, Tennessee. And that's the home of Elvis. And you got to believe there's some connection between that and Elvis's whole lot of shaking going on. But I have to tell you, our long-term survival sometimes feels just a little bit shaky to me. And it's not only earthquakes that are shaking up things today. 
We've got global terrorism, bombs on airplanes, shootings in shopping malls, schools, and churches from Boston to Brussels. Marriage and the family are shaking today, under attack, marriage being redefined, actively undermined. Governmental leaders seems a little shaky to me today. Thinking people are genuinely anxious about our current presidential election process. We've got cybercrime today and violence. Identity theft is commonplace. And the knockout game has young men sucker-punching unsuspecting victims on the street in some of our major cities. And we've got financial instability, a volatile stock market, and the staggering national debt. That can cause some upset. But enough of this oppressive talk about things that are shaky. This is Resurrection Sunday after all. And Jesus Christ is alive. And at His coming, Scripture promises that He will remove what can be shaken so that only what cannot be shaken will remain. So what is it that cannot be shaken? Pastor Patrick Garcia and I want to team up to amplify a single verse at the end of the book of Hebrews that tells us in chapter 12, verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. Now, there are a few foundational truths about God's kingdom that are revealed in the New Testament. Let me just tick off a few. One is that this kingdom is received. It is given to us. We didn't have to build it ourselves, and the fact is we couldn't build it ourselves if we wanted to. And this kingdom is vast. It is global. It includes people from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth. And this kingdom is unique. It is spiritual. It is not material in nature. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And because it is within us, this kingdom is also eternal. It will never perish. It will never spoil or fade away. And then finally, as it was revealed in our text in exactly those words, this kingdom is unshakable, it is indestructible, it is invincible. And on this Easter Sunday, 2016, I want us to focus on the four pillars that are so solid, so strong, so secure, they make this greater kingdom unshakable. And the first pillar is God's character, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God speaking says, I am the Lord, I do not change. All that God is, He has always been. All that He is, all that He has been, He will ever be. This verse is a reference to His character, His essential being, which is holiness and love and power and wisdom and faithfulness and so much more. In an ever-changing 
and in an unstable world, it brings peace to our hearts to know our Heavenly Father can always be counted on to be a constant and abiding presence with us. When Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in Washington, the news was relayed to New York. Soon the city was in a state of panic. But then a large man appeared on the balcony above the crowd, and he hoisted the American flag. And then the voice of General James A. Garfield rang out, fellow citizens, there are clouds of darkness all about us, but God still reigns. And that was the message that brought stability to a shaken nation. And something very similar happened after 9-11. You remember that. Our Heavenly Father not only reigns, but He is also responsive to us. He's never preoccupied. He's never unavailable. He doesn't have to get back to you because He is always present for you. He loves you as much today as when you were an innocent newborn. And in this world where people can forget us or change their attitude toward us or revise their opinion of us for the slightest cause, isn't it good to know that we have a God who does not change? He is available. He is accessible. He is awesome. But listen, He is also authoritative. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 tells us, you have come to God, the judge of all. Now, He cares for us as His own dear children. But he's also the one before whom we will one day stand to account for the life we've lived on earth in the flesh. Something else we know that's unshakable. Besides God's character, God's Word. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. As a 12-year-old boy... Jesus stood in the temple in Jerusalem and taught the Word of God to religious and governmental officials. And today that temple is gone, but the Word of God remains. And the Apostle Paul stood on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece one afternoon, surrounded by all the impressive buildings of the Acropolis. And today those buildings are gone. All that is left are ruins. But the Word of God Paul preached remains. And atheists and skeptics, and critics, and liberal theologians, they have all come and gone. But the Word of God is still changing lives today. Make no mistake about it. Satan has been trying to distort and discredit and destroy the Word of God since the Garden of Eden, but it endures to this hour, and it will stand forever. The stories told of a South Sea Islander who proudly showed his Bible to a GI during World War II. He had received it as a present from a missionary several years before. And the soldier said, oh, well, we've outgrown that sort of thing. The native smiled back and said, well, it's a good thing we haven't because if it weren't for this book, you would be our evening meal. John Wesley wrote these words, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself condescended to teach the way. 
He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Can you resonate with his sentiment? Can you identify with his conviction? Jesus said some very memorable words in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but my words will never pass away. So here you have it. God's word is eternal. But something else makes the kingdom of God unshakable. Besides God's character and God's word, there is God's Son. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus asks his disciples a penetrating question that every single one of us must all answer. He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, on this rock, this truth, this good confession that you've just made, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of death, will not overcome it, will not overcome the fact that I am the Son of the living God. And friends, this is the cornerstone on which the greater kingdom of God is built. Jesus lives. He is risen indeed. Death could not overcome the truth that He is the Son of God. He has dominion over death. Colossians 1:17 and following, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might receive the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so because of God's character and God's Word and God's Son, there is one final thing that is unshakable in a shaken world. But before I reveal what that is, I want to ask you right now to take your communion packet from your little plastic bag that you received when you came in this morning. Just take time to open your bag, pull out that little communion packet, and will you take time to prepare the bread and the grape juice that represent Jesus' body that was beaten and crucified, his blood that was shed, the symbols of his life that was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for you. And as you hold these sacred emblems this morning, will you realize that on this Resurrection Lord's Day, 2016, in the deepest place in you, will you realize it this morning, that the one final thing that is stable in an unstable world, the one final thing that is unshakable in a shaken world is very personal. It is our 
relationship with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Will you take time to remember that and remember him as we commune together and you partake of the emblems as you are prepared in heart to do so? Will you pray with me? Father, in the history of mankind, the events that mattered the events that have taken place that give stability to the instability that is a part of creation, the unshaken thing that eclipses all the shaken things in the universe is the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ, His life his miracle-working ministry, his preaching and teaching about the kingdom of heaven, his submission to a cruel death on Calvary's cross, and then the majesty, the wonder that he was raised to life never to die again. Father, we celebrate that today. We praise you and thank you for it. We remember Jesus, the name that many in the world are reluctant to say. We exclaim, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and in his name we worship around his table. Amen. Well, my wife and I are thrilled to announce that this past week we, uh, ex we, we had our third child born into this world, a, a son. Thank you. Uh, his name is Bowerstone Garcia, and uh, he was born on Thursday right around 2.30 uh, in the morning, and both he and Savannah are home now doing really well, and uh, we are just really glad and grateful to have a, a healthy baby boy. Now, I got to tell you, I'm struggling a little bit with it, though. Bauer is just three days old, and he already has more hair than me. <laughs> that easy for you to laugh at. You think I'm joking, but it really is uh, the truth. Now, for the past month or so, Savannah has been nesting in our home, kind of preparing for Bauer's arrival in various ways. And, and I don't know how this plays out for you in your house, but whenever Savannah and I know that a house project is on the horizon, we can anticipate a fight breaking out between the two of us. Now, we both have strong personalities, and we have different opinions for how things should play out and how things should look. And, and it really doesn't help matters much because the fact that we watch a lot of Fixer Upper on HGTV lately. 
And so Savannah gets these visions and dreams and projects in mind, and then it's my role to see these projects come into fruition. Now, the only problem is I am no Chip Gaines, all right? Now, for a lot of people, a DIY project simply stands for do-it-yourself, you know what I mean? But for me, that has never been the case. DIY simply refers to and means for me, don't involve yourself. A week ago on Sunday, I was given the responsibility to go up to our boys' closet and hang three little simple shelves, and so I wanted to do it right. I went out, bought a wall-hanging kit at Lowe's, and, and got home and spent several hours hanging these shelves in the closet. Again, I wanted to do it right. I thought I had done a really good job, and so when I was finally pleased with my work, I got a picture, brought Savannah up to take a look, and, and here's what it ended up looking like. Savannah was not all that impressed with it either. Still can't figure out why. Now, isn't it really frustrating to devote a lot of time and energy into building something only for it to not turn out the way that you anticipated? I mean, it's one thing when we're talking about a house project and it goes south, but, but what happens when the life that you had planned ends up taking an unexpected turn? Now, the reality is we've all walked in here today, whether you know it or not, leaning our life on something or someone to give us what we think we need most in life. Now, another way to say this, and this sounds a little bit odd at first, but we are all constructing our own little kingdoms to give us what we think we need. And, and so here's how this plays out for you and I. Whatever we believe is our greatest need in life, that determines the type of kingdom that we're building on a day-to-day -day basis. And so you believe that your biggest need is acceptance, then your kingdom is going to be about, on a day-to-day -day basis, running after approval from people around you. If you believe that your biggest need is significance, then your kingdom is going to be about working harder and studying longer so that you can finally feel this sense of, of proving yourself. If you believe that, that your biggest need is control, then your kingdom will be about not trusting anyone and bossing everyone around. You see, here's the thing. Our kingdoms become the place where we find our identity. Our kingdoms provide this sense of significance and worth and value. It's where we go to find it. But what if, what if when we are the master of our kingdoms, it's really nothing but slavery? Now, I don't know what it is that you're pursuing. I don't know what your kingdom looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, but one question I want to ask you today is this. Can your kingdom really give you what you need when you need it most? I mean, the foundation that, that you've been building and constructing this life upon, can, can you really count on it not shaking whenever, whenever life throws you a curveball? Now, if your answer to that question is yes, and you know what, I give you permission for the next few moments to just tune me out, all right? I mean, seriously, pull your phone out, keep wondering if, if you've earned a second date with her because you're here today. I mean, if you are absolutely convinced that, that, that what it is you're running after is going to give you what you need when you need it most, then don't listen to anything else I have to say today. But if there's a little part of you that, that doubts if, if what you've been leaning your life upon may not hold up, 
I mean, if you wonder if there's something greater, something more sufficient and stronger out there, then what I want to do for the next few moments is unpack this, this greater kingdom idea that, that Ken talked to us a few moments ago from Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews is a uh, book in the New Testament, the back quarter of scripture, and it's written to a group of believers during the first century who were just struggling with life. They were struggling with, with what they were really building their life upon. And so in verse 27 of chapter 12, the writer says this. He kind of predicts what's going to happen in the future. He says, all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Now this is saying that a day is quickly approaching when everything that we've been running after, I mean all of our pursuits, all of our dreams, are eventually going to die out and fail. Aren't you glad you came to Easter services today? But you see, really, this moment could happen any day for us. I mean, no one expects to get that call in the middle of of the night. I mean, nobody plans to be eliminated from a job. Nobody intends for a spouse to leave, right? And yet, when the ground starts to crumble beneath our feet, we see very clearly what our foundation has been all along. You see, nobody knew about the disappointments in life more than this guy named Jesus, One day he he was teaching on a hillside in front of a large crowd of people somewhat like this here today. And and these people were obsessed with running after things, building their own little kingdoms in life that ultimately at the end of the day wouldn't hold up. And so as a way to illustrate this stark contrast between the greater kingdom that Jesus provides, he says it's kind of like constructing a house on sand versus building a home on solid rock. And Jesus promised that that storms hit both houses. Storms will come regardless of whatever your foundation may be, but only those who build on the foundation in his territory are going to make it through, he says. Now, this greater kingdom was first opened up to all people on that very first Easter Sunday about 2,000 years ago. You see, everybody got so sick of Jesus talking about this greater kingdom that they thought, you know what, let's just kill the guy. He won't shut up. So you know what, maybe putting him in the ground is going to do the work. And so on a certain Friday, the Roman soldiers were given permission to murder Jesus in the most shameful and humiliating way possible. You see, they hung him on a cross. After Jesus hung there for several hours, eventually he, he suffocated and bled out. And some, some of his friends took his body and, and placed it in an unmarked tomb. Now the opponents of Jesus, you see, thought that they had crushed his dream for this greater kingdom. And yet what those who demanded that Jesus die failed to realize is that by putting him in the ground, by putting him to death, that actually gave Jesus the opportunity to provide the most undeniable evidence that his kingdom is greater and it really is unshakable. I mean, after all, if someone crashed their funeral, would you have any trouble believing what they had to say? You see, I can trust a king who left his throne to rescue me and bring me into his kingdom. I want you to notice how that very first Easter Sunday started out from a biography on the life of Jesus called Matthew. Matthew records this in chapter 28, verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Now, it was precisely when life had been breathed back into Jesus' body that the created world started to shake. 
I mean, it was as if Mother Nature had never witnessed such a powerful act before. You see, death, the one place that every other kingdom ultimately ends up, was in the act of being defeated. And so here's the thing. Every kingdom before Christ will crumble, disintegrate, and ultimately waste away. But think about it like this. When Jesus rose back to life, a gate opened up giving us access into the land that we were originally created to live in the first place. Now the truth is you can't pay your way in, you can't earn your way in, it's impossible. No, the response that God is after in your life is glad acceptance that changes the way you think and changes the way you live with time. That's why the Hebrew writer goes on to say this in verse 28, and Ken read this earlier, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. You see, this is a simple challenge to embrace what Jesus has done on your behalf What if I told you that God designed and shaped you with this kingdom in mind? I mean, would you believe me if I told you that only in this greater kingdom will you find what you're really running after and pursuing in life? This past week, I spent a lot of time thinking about why some of us here today will hear about this greater kingdom, yet will choose to still walk away. And so rather than pointing the finger at you, rather than talking down to you, I just want to make an effort to step into your world and maybe see things from your perspective as to to why you would reject this offer. And, And reason number one might be this for you, that people a part of this greater kingdom have hurt you. People a part of the greater kingdom have hurt you. Perhaps you've thought about following Jesus before in your life, but then you saw how some Christians lived and you thought, why would I want to become that, Right? And you know what, to a degree, I understand where you're coming from. But if that's your obstacle, understand that that you wouldn't use that rationale in any other part of your life. What do I I mean by that? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Now, by brief show of hands, how many of you are proud UK fans? Now, keep your hands raised. Everybody look around the room here for a minute. Okay. Put your hands down. How many of you are IU fans? Hold your hands up high. All right. Now, all you IU fans, turn to a UK fan and say, who's your daddy? All right? (laughs) Now, regardless of the college basketball team that you cheer for, you and I both know that there are jerks within our fan bases, right? It doesn't matter the team that you love. There are people that cheer for your program and the team that you love that are, quite honestly, just an embarrassment to the program, right? And never is this more obvious than when you actually go to a game And you see those people before your very eyes. Now, when you actually go to a game, you're going to run into some pleasant and classy fans, right? Yet you might also sit next to that loud mouth who was recently on the Mari Povich show who throughout throughout the entire course of the game surfaces inner anger by yelling at every call the ref makes, right? You know who I'm talking about? Now, suppose your team made it to the Final Four and a friend of yours gave you front row tickets to go to the game in person. My question for you is this, would you allow some of those obnoxious fans to keep you from actually going and experiencing the game for yourself? No way, right? Why is that? 
Well, because the overall greater experience is worth enduring some of those annoying fans that you might have to sit beside. I mean, after all, you're there at the game to cheer on the team, not to cheer on the fans. And so I know some of us, we've walked in here today, and we've said no to Jesus in the past because we've maybe had some interaction with some not-so-nice people that make up this, this community called the church. But one thing I want to ask you is, what if the overall experience of being a part of this greater kingdom is worth enduring some of the rough patches along the way? I mean, sometimes the church is referred to as the body I mean, could it be that you've just had some interaction with people who make up the armpit, all right? <laughs> now, if you've been hurt or burned before by someone who claimed to follow Jesus, I want you to know that I'm sorry. I really am. I don't know what happened, but I hate it and God hates it that your view of Jesus and his bride and his community has been tainted Now, I'm not proud to admit this, but if I can be really honest with you today, I have often misrepresented Jesus to others in my life as well. I mean, there's no doubt that that I've been a jerk that you don't want to sit beside at a basketball game before. And And if I'm being really honest with you, every day I struggle with my pride. I mean, every day I have to face my insecurities. There are moments when I wonder if I have what it takes to be the man that God has called me to be. And so God has been teaching me lately that hiding my brokenness, that hiding this sin nature that I have is a very dangerous practice. Because you see, hiding enslaves us. It's why we end up hurting people in our life. But you see, in the kingdom of God, Jesus has really broken our chains of slavery. It's the place where our identity and worth is received not achieved. Well, another reason that you might walk away from this greater kingdom is this, because you know what? Your kingdom hasn't failed you yet. Your kingdom hasn't failed you yet. You, you see no urgency or need to go anywhere else. You have just enough success in your life to keep you comfortable and to keep you from searching. I mean, living your way, let's be honest, has always paid off. Why switch kingdoms now? But you see, there's going to come a time when, when the walls that you've built, the walls that you thought were so secure, are going to fall down. You remember what Jesus promised about the storms in life? Regardless of the foundation that you've been building on, the winds are going to come, the waves are going to crash, and, and the sand that seemed to be so stable will start to give out. What are you going to do then? I mean, where are you going to go? Well, the last reason that some of us will walk away from the offer to live in this greater kingdom is this, that that things just don't add up for you, right? Things just don't add up for you. I mean, you have serious questions about God and faith and this whole Jesus thing. I mean, the entire basis of Christianity is centered on the belief that a dead man came back to life. I mean, really? (laughs) Now, the advice I'd give you in this moment, it might surprise you. I say keep going. I mean, don't tap out. Run towards, not away from your questions and your doubts. I mean, if God couldn't handle your questions, then you know what? He's not a God worth serving because he sure wouldn't be the God of the Bible. Now, when we open up Scripture, we see that God invites his people to seek him. 
to pursue doubts and to take him to the mat. You see, it's impossible to ask the sovereign creator of the universe something that is going to shock, disappoint, or even rattle him. And yet, what would it look like for you to begin trusting, to begin trusting this king who died for you? And so if you really want to take God to the mat and, and wrestle with some of these questions, know that he is going to show up in time. Now, a really great takeaway for you might be to come back next week. We're, we're beginning a brand new series called Room for Doubt, and it's in this series that we're going to talk about some questions that you probably have. And so at this time, check this video out with me describing what the next four weeks at Crossroads is going to be about. Sometimes our questions stand out. <clears throat> Sometimes our questions really bother and frustrate us. Sometimes questions we have about life, faith, the universe, and our purpose make us feel all alone. Here's the truth. Everybody has doubts. Everybody has unanswered questions that don't make sense. Some of our doubts are seemingly small, and some of our doubts have really stumped us. Doubts can either hold you back or move you forward. So the question is, where are your doubts taking you? Where do you search? For the next four weeks, come explore your doubts with us at Crossroads. We begin a new series called Room for Doubt. If we told you there was room for you, would you join us? Where do you search? I love that question. And the truth is, for the next four weeks at our Newburgh campus at Crossroads, we, we've designed this series in mind with those of us who, who wrestle with faith, who struggle with this idea of Jesus coming back to life. And, and so I want you to know that there's a seat for you. This isn't some subtle effort on our part to get you to come back for the next four weeks. Know that it is a blatant attempt, all right? But I want you to know that, that nobody's going to force you to believe anything. That you don't have to clean up your act, you don't have to clean up your life before showing up. The, the roof of our church is not going to come, come in on you. But if you do have the courage to, to not tap out on some of your questions, then we would love for you to come back and, uh, and face some of those questions. Because you know what, at the end of the day, we want Crossroads to be a safe place where you can wrestle and where you can come to some conclusions about the questions that we all have about life and faith and Jesus in general. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that you're not a God who is worried when, when we ask questions. You don't get anxious when we doubt. In fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, we know that the closest friends to him, they all had questions. They didn't understand this whole greater kingdom idea. And so, Lord, I know that a lot of us have walked into the Ford Center here now, and, and we've got doubts. And, We've got hurt, we've got pain that just doesn't make sense. And so, Lord, would you just, would you meet us and would you show us that, Lord, you really can be trusted? And I trust you, but I know some of us, we just aren't there yet. And so, God, continue to show up and continue to move in our lives and in our hearts. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, we know that there is an empty tomb somewhere over in the Middle East that couldn't hold the body of Jesus, and on that Sunday morning, life was revived back into him, and the truth is, Lord, that changes everything. And so we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.